When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss in this Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105. And that's not it. Scott Zolak, Steve Logan, Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. It's only been about three weeks and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. Hey everybody, welcome once again. This is Red Sox Beat. CLNS Media continues to churn these out and I'm very happy to be your host. Have I mentioned my name is Josh Lewin? See, that's what a pandemic does. You can't even remember what you said 15 seconds ago because your mind is silly putty. We still have no baseball, no real baseball. We had a Players League video game thing happen that got, you know, some people talking, some people interested. Uh, I think we're we're just so starved for content right now is what it comes down to. So here we are. Every week we will have some sense of contact for you. There is no sense of normal yet that we know. And uh, obviously you guys are keeping up on it just like I am. It changes seemingly day to day in terms of when we can expect baseball again. There's a, a great old Steve Martin movie that I doubt many of you have seen. It was a long time ago. It was about a preacher uh, who was just kind of a bullshit artist. And he, he his bus got broken down in Kansas and he decided he'd set up shop right there and do his thing and, and just kind of wrangle in some free money, you know, take people. And his big question, you know, that, that he got people to, to come to the, the tent and, and participate in, in this thing, he, he knew that the key question was, When's it going to rain? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, let's hear what the preacher man has to say about when's it going to rain because our crops are dying. When's it going to rain? And anyway, I mean, anybody who's doing baseball content right now, that's the quick and easy way to get you in the tent is to ask that question. You know, when are, when are we finally going to get unparched? 
We don't know. Nobody knows. So let's just talk some Red Sox. And we're going to do that with Chad Jennings of The Athletic here momentarily. I'll apologize in advance. Uh, normally we, we have either a Zoom or a Skype recording thing going. Uh, Chad was unable to, uh, to get that working, but we still wanted to have him on. So it's not going to be the highest quality in terms of his voice or my voice. But I think you can still hear it, and I think you'll enjoy what he has to say. A quick reminder about our friends at Bet Online too. With uh, no baseball, basketball, hockey, uh, you might think there's nothing to bet on. That is incorrect. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, with hundreds of events and games and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing the Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL right now, Bet Online has daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're in entertainment betting, you can still bet on things like Big Brother and American Idol. You can bet on stock prices. You can bet on Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Everything's open 24 hours a day. It's all online. We invite you to check out the website or use your mobile device. Join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, and we had Steve Buckley on from The Athletic last week. Uh, you, you'll know that this is just really fun content, top to bottom. And, and there was a two-part survey that our friend Chad Jennings did, and we won't have time to walk all the way through it. In fact, it's going to be just a tiny little sliver of what he was able to do. But he threw out things to Red Sox fans that I think are good talking points, even if there wasn't a pandemic right now. Things like, what is the next number the Red Sox should retire? Uh, you know, even if Dwight Evans had been elected to the Hall of Fame this winter and, and he was only four votes away on the modern era ballot, uh, this question would have probably answered itself and, and Dwight Evans would have his number 24 up there. But he threw it out there. Which one do you want to see? You want to see 21 for Roger Clemens? You want to see 23 for Tiant? 24 is an Evans-Ramirez combo? 25 for Tony Canigliaro? Uh, these are great questions, and there are no wrong answers, obviously, but uh, he, he really does a nice job here kind of taking you through it, even to the point of your favorite Red Sox uniform. And, and he also wrote a, a thing recently about possible tweaks to the Red Sox uniform, which we'll get into in just a moment. But just to, to take you through that one, for example, 75% of you guys said you like the home whites the best. About 15% of you said you like the home reds. The road grays, which I think are just gorgeous, got less than 10% of the vote. In fact, the road blues got more votes than the road grays. I I mean, I guess that's what makes America great, is we can agree to disagree on stuff. But but the the road grays are so great to me. The the experience of getting to Fenway on a game day, he asked about that. You know, whether there's too much traffic and and people on the trains. And and obviously, in in this day and age, that now becomes an even bigger deal. Uh, you know, just really asking, uh, you know, kind of off the field things, on the field things. How has your passion for the Red Sox changed in the last 15 years or so? You go back to 2004, obviously, when uh, I think it, it spiked for very good reasons. And talking about what you expect in the future, who are going to be the guys? Who are the guys that the, the Red Sox should really look at as free agents in the upcoming season? Mookie Betts, I would think, is the obvious choice, right? And I think better than 60% of people said, yeah, give me Mookie. But, you know, there were, uh, I think, about one out of eight, one out of nine that said, go get me a catcher. Go get JT Real Muto. Uh, DJ LeMahieu got votes. Marcus Semien got votes. Andrelton Simmons got a few. Uh, George Springer would be an interesting guy to bring on in. UConn guy. Marcus Stroman, Trevor Bauer. My God, can you imagine Trevor Bauer in Boston? And, and all? I mean, I wasn't around for Kurt Schilling in Boston. 
but just in terms of having a guy who's uh, going to let you know what he feels and uh, certainly you know something that's in the headlines all the time, that, that could definitely be a thing. One more question that, that I wasn't able to get to with Chad, but I, I thought was a great question, and I had never considered it in exactly these terms, but, but he asked the question about prospects and how much Red Sox fans value hanging on to what you've already got, and he called it the prospect hugger scale. You know, if you're a full hugger, that means you don't let these prospects get away no matter what. I just want to grow with these guys and that's it. Well, out of, I'm guessing maybe 600, 700 respondents, I think it was five people rated themselves a one on the prospect hugger scale. Uh, meaning trade every prospect you can for proven players. I don't care about prospects at all. Only five people said that. There were about three times as many people, four times as many people said, it's everything. You know, my heart is in- entirely attached to every young player in the system. Don't ever trade a single one of them. Most everybody was a three, and I think that's correct. I think you have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. The Atlanta Braves uh, a couple decades ago were so good at identifying which of their many prospects were the ones you actually had to hold on to and which ones you just talked up in Baseball America and made every other general manager salivate, think that, well, you know what? I mean, geez, Baseball America's writing about them all the time. Maybe our scouts don't know what they're talking about. They valued what, what they needed to hang on to, and they were able to trade things they really didn't need. And they did that for a nice long time. Uh, you know, a guy like Nate Minchie, some of you will remember, you know, was he better as a Red Sox prospect or a Braves prospect? Who should have hung on to Nate Minchie? And, you know, those are the kinds of players uh, 20-odd years later that, that I think I'm thinking of. You know, do you, do you really need to hold on to that guy? Are you so 100% sure he's going to become the next big thing? Or are you able to actually zip that along down the line and get something that you need right now? So, So many cool ponderables, and I think that's what The Athletic does very well with with three really good Red Sox writers. Chad Jennings is one of them. You guys want to meet him? Hey! All right, let's all go. Come on, let's do this thing. Let's, uh, let's, Let's get out from our pandemic hell. Let's just talk some baseball with Chad Jennings. Hope you enjoy it. Here it comes. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. All right. So I'm just going to kind of basically what I want to do is just kind of um, paraphrase a lot of your recent stuff, which has been great. The, the polls are oh, fantastic. Those are just so cool. Um, so, you know, for people, it's basically a chance to kind of sell some athletic uh, subscriptions, you know, like, hey, here's the kind of content you're missing. So, you know, give us like a little two-minute recap of what this was about, Chad, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So, okay. Keep you maybe 15, 18 minutes. Is that, you got enough time? Okay. Yeah, sure. Cool. Awesome. Okay, here we go. In three, two, one. As promised, Chad Jennings joins us, theathletic.com. This is, uh, I don't even know what it costs for a subscription now, but it's worth it because all the content that you get. We had Steve Buckley on very recently. Uh, if you hop around, if, if you go from team to team, I mean, you are going to be so up to date. You're going to feel like you, you really have everything down. Deep dives, that's what the athletic does. And, and we don't have that much time with Chad here today. But we want to take some time because a lot of his stuff lately has just been very thought-provoking. It always is, but just lately he's been on a, a bit of a tear. So, Chad, thanks for joining us and, and appreciate you doing this. Uh, give us your, your backstory real quick. For those that don't know, you've been with The Athletic how long now? And, and give us your, your stops before that. Well, I was uh, – my, myself and Jen McCaffrey were the first uh, Red Sox hire. So we, we started uh, when they – built out to Boston in uh, 2018, so this would be our, this would have been the third season, 
uh, covering the Red Sox for the Athletic. And before that, I was at the Boston Herald. And before that, I was uh, covering the Yankees for uh, the Westchester Gannett newspaper. And before that, I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, covering AAA baseball. And before that, I was in college in Missouri. So uh, that's sort of the, the path that got me here. But, yeah, that's a little over two years then at the, at the Athletic. Your, your time in Scranton Wilkesbury, and, and for those who watch The Office, they I'm sure are going to ask you about Dunder Mifflin, which is fictional. I, I just I need to point that out. <laughs> but but the opening credits, uh, very much real. I mean, when when you're looking down on on Mulberry Street and all of that, and, and that that ballpark that they have, which was state of the art when they opened it, carved into the side of a, of a mountain, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, tell me about your your time in Scranton. Yeah, I was I was there working there when the show started. Um, so it was it was kind of neat, you know, that we had, I think I think the office was on every Thursday, and so I believe that then every Friday morning, the newspaper I was working for at the the bottom of our front page was always a list of the local references from from the mm-hmm. night before's episode of the office, and we had a guy named uh, Josh McCall who uh, was like a features writer for us who wrote a lot of stuff about the office and got to know them and went out to I think he flew out there just about every year and went to the set and would do a big story on the on the crew and the cast and whatever else, and, and to the point that at the end of, uh, I guess I, I kind of stopped watching it at some point, but I guess at the end they finally aired the documentary that the show was, they were supposed to be making or something, and they, right. they used Josh's name. They got a, they got, he, they sent him a permission form, as I remember it to say. I don't think told them how they were going to use it, but he just had to sign off on permission to use his name, and I think Rain Wilson's character they're writing about sort of the bad reviews that their documentary has gotten. And he, and he has a little talking head where he says, like, what do I care what Josh McAuliffe has to say? Something, <laughs> or something like that. But it was, it was kind of cool because we kind of, you know, we really, uh, you know, the newspaper I was working for obviously really tried to play it up. And, and the, the cast and the crew of the office really embraced Scranton. I mean, they did a big reunion thing at the AAA ballpark there one year. And they came the whole, I mean, a ton of the cast came through town one time and did, uh, they were all like guest bartenders at various places, and it, yeah, it was pretty neat. Did you ever find out? Because I never did. I mean, I'm such a pop culture nut. But the, the the baseball crossover, I mean, you know, the temp name was Ryan Howard. You know, and yeah. they've got a guy. They've got a guy in accounting named Kevin Malone, who was obviously a you know big GM for a long time. But was that complete randomness, or did they really yeah, have a little hat tip to baseball? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I never. I mean, I you know, obviously the Ryan Howard one, I remembered and because uh, I covered Ryan the baseball player Ryan Howard uh, when he was playing in Scranton and um, and kind of knew him pretty well uh, he and I are both Missouri guys so we we got along pretty well but um, but no I don't know I don't know if the baseball thing was random or or not but uh, you know it certainly might not have been I mean that they're like one of the main is, is Michael Shore is one of the main writers of the office right he's a famous, yeah no he's, he's a big baseball, baseball fan so so that's I mean I would think there's a a good chance that there's some connection there. I love that. All right, so I, I didn't mean to turn this into an, an office podcast. I really didn't, although we, I could do hours on it. But uh, let, let me ask you about a, a name uh, with the Red Sox, a guy by the name of Sam Kennedy, who you've talked to multiple times, team president, and, and I think one of the, the great executives in baseball, frankly. But you did a, a – again, this is why I love The Athletic, because nobody else would think to, to write this. But – just kind of wondering out loud about the, the classic design of the Red Sox uniform and asking Sam, are there tweaks? Would you guys ever do anything with what is, a, as you described it, a, a criminally underrated, actually I think Mark Carrigan under, uh, reported it that way, criminally underrated Red Sox uniform. The aesthetic pleases me, 
Uh, is there going to be some sort of tweak in the future? Well, I think that, you know, they're talking about small tweaks, but what, what was interesting to me talking to them is how much thought and effort they put into even these really small adjustments that, I mean, I think the fan base here really notices them, you know, if they make even a small change, you know, to, you know, whatever. I mean, not something even much smaller than, you know, adding an alternate uniform or anything, but they, they really spend a lot of time considering and, and even changes to something like their batting practice uniform. All those things are really talked about and considered, and, and they acknowledge that, you know, there is there is a marketing element to it, but also just a uh, – they, they want to be able to give fans something fresh and something new to keep them excited because I think there is a desire for that, but, but they maybe try to do that sort of on the edges or do that with the VT gear and things like that to keep the classic – sort of traditional look of the Red Sox. So I think that's also a big part of it. Um, it was also interesting to me talking to them about both both Sam and uh, and Kyle Parkinson, who, who hands, handles the uh, – uh, True Parkinson, I'm sorry, who handles all the – he handles a lot of the jersey and uniform stuff. They both talked about the idea of adding – adding an element of, of a better performing uniform. You know, the baseball uniforms really are kind of designed fairly similar to the way they were 100 years ago. Um, you know, they're still kind of loose. They still don't fit that well. Um, and I think there is some push that that may be the next big change we see is much more so in dealing with, you know, really trying to modernize the, the fit and the design of a baseball uniform to help, you know, today's baseball players who are just, very athletic, and then you know you look at the way a guy like Mookie Betts plays the game while he was here. I mean that was a a very athletic guy who's who's moving in such a way where you could see you know you maybe want to design a uniform that that helps him and, and helps maximize the things he's able to do. Hey, again, this is our nexus of pop culture and your Yankees beat coverage because that's a great Seinfeld episode right there where where Jordy mm-hmm. Costanza puts them in cotton uniforms. What a breathable fabric. Exactly right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> let me, uh, you know, one of the other deep dives the athletic has started to do, and I love this one too. You guys throw out a bunch of ponderables, a bunch of what ifs. And the one that I don't know if you were assigned or if you did it on your own, but the great what if about what if the Red Sox hadn't allowed John Lester to get away. And you started with the John Henry quote from basically a little more than a year ago. He said, I think we blew the John Lester negotiation, we blew the signing in spring training. And you make the point, he obviously he's won a World Series and a you know, five-year stretch in his early 30s. is the guy that's made 32 starts a year on average, about a three-and-a-half ERA, but an all-star a couple times. So walk me through that what-if with John Lester. Well, to me, the thing that stands out is I think it's often pointed to – well, for one thing, they obviously blew it, right? I mean, there's no way to look at what Lester's done in Chicago and not say that the Red Sox wish they'd kept him. Um, so obviously that was a mistake. If they had a chance to resign him, they would have been better off having him. Um, but and also I tried to look through it, you know, how much money might it have taken and, and, you know, found some, some things that have been talked about at the time. And it's often said that, that Lester, if they had signed Lester, they wouldn't have signed David Price. Um, I'm not positive that's true. I mean, I, to me, the one that they end up clearly not getting is more likely Rick Porcello, um, only because you look back at the way that Porcello first came to the Red Sox in the first place was 
when the Red Sox traded Cespedes to Detroit, and they got Cespedes because they traded Lester. So if you sign Lester to an extension, you're never going to trade for Cespedes, which means you don't have Cespedes to trade for Porcello, which means you don't have Porcello to sign into an extension. Um, and then also the money's pretty equal there. That's more where the money comes out even, is, is likely what it would have taken to sign Lester. Is, I mean, it's a little bit more than what they gave Porcello, but not a ton. And so if, if you take Porcello out and add Lester, your money's pretty even, and they're still going to need pitching. So now, I mean, you know, you jump ahead. It's not like they would have had a full rotation just because John Lester was there. They still would have felt the need to add impact starting pitching. And if that's the case, I mean, and you've got basically the same amount of money to spend, why wouldn't they have signed David Price? Uh, You know, it's certainly a chance that it wouldn't have happened, but I still think that's an entire possibility. Um, You do wonder – you know, bigger things. If, if if they sign Lester and they're maybe a little bit more competitive and the Lester signing looks good, do they maybe then not sign, do they not spend as much money to sign Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval? And if they don't sign Hanley and Pablo, is Ben Charrington still the general manager today? And if Ben Charrington is still the general manager today, do they make the trade for Chris Sale? Do they make the trade for Craig Kimbrell? Do they sign J.D. Martinez? Which means if Charrington's the GM today, do they win in 2018? I mean, it's the the number of ways that this thing could have played out so much differently, um, especially in Boston. But, you know, I mean, if, if the Red Sox sign John Lester, then the, that means the Cubs don't have him. So do the Cubs break their own curse with Lester? And, mm-hmm. you know, that they, that they did break with Lester, now that they don't, you know, what other pitcher would they have signed? And, you know, it's possible that instead of John Lester, then that year they would have signed the other big free agent starting pitcher that year with Max Scherzer. So if the Cubs instead signed Max Scherzer, and maybe the Cubs go ahead and win their title, but maybe it's Washington that doesn't win last year. You know, just uh, that Lester, Lester in the open market there really, it, the what if of what things, all the things that might have wound up differently, it's, it's pretty significant. Very, very cool stuff. We're talking to Chad Jennings of The Athletic, who is really good on deep dives. I do a very quick um, one-off here, Chad, if you'll allow me. This is my, my 15-second drop-in for the what-if thing that, that I'm doing on a different podcast. Just to remind everybody, the Throwback League, also available through CLNS Media. This week's podcast, the, the Throwback League matchup, it's a five-seed and a 12-seed. It's the 88 Dodgers with Oral Hershiser on the mound. They've got the 98 Padres coming up from San Diego with Kevin Brown on the mound. So two sinker ballers in this week's matchup of a five-versus-12 on our way to our March Madness-style bracket to crown a pretend World Series champion. So make sure you check that out, the throwback league. All right, drop-in is done. We'll go back to, to Chad Jennings. So uh, the Red Sox fan survey is really why I wanted to have you on, buddy, to be honest with you. You did a two-parter. Probably could have been a five-parter is my guess because there's so many great questions yeah. about, you know, about everything Red Sox-related. But uh, you, you did a, basically a dive into some big-picture off-the-field issues, and uh, talking about making moves, since we just were, were talking about John Lester, you threw it out there, just for example, best Red Sox moves of the past decade, and you gave people the uh, the opportunity to either rank them or, I guess, you know, vote for their favorite, and some of them were self-evident, right? I mean, if you draft Mookie Betts, he's a fifth-round choice. It's not, a, you know, I mean, that's, that's a, a no-brainer, hey, way to go, attaboy move right there. Some of them a little less obvious, though. I mean, the bridge deals in 2013 for Napoli and Gomes and Victorino and, and Koji and guys like that. Uh, what did the respondents come 
come out with, and, and did you agree with how they ordered the, the ranking there? Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part I agree with it. it. They picked the drafting of Mookie sort of overwhelmingly as the favorite, and and I would say I actually almost didn't include that one because it just seems too obvious, and it's also the one that where the Red Sox had the least skin in the game, right? It, if if they had made a draft, if they had drafted a different super athletic Tennessee high school player in the fifth round and he totally flamed out in a ball, no one would notice. You know, I mean, the draft just is such a boom or bust situation anyway. But it is, I mean, it's it's such a meaningful deal for them. And then I think the second was was the Ortiz, you know, bringing back Ortiz and uh, signing him to extensions, re-signing him and just keeping him around, which, again, we look at it now, I think, and it looks obvious. But you could also think, I mean, Ortiz was getting a little bit older. Um, you know, you could have, it was possible that they could have decided to kind of move on there and, and back away and, and that they didn't and that he remained as productive as he did to the end. Um, obviously makes that one also a, uh, a, a big move and a, and a favorite move. In terms of things that did not go well, the worst Red Sox move of the past decade was, was the Pablo Sandoval signing number one. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the way we had it set up that you kind of ranked that we, I think we offered eight choices and then you had to rank them. So nothing got more votes for the worst. The, the one that got the most number one worst move was letting John Lester go. But okay, everything on Sandoval was either a one, two, or a three, you know, and so that put his total score was, was Sandoval as the number one, um, you know, rated as the worst move for the Red Sox for the last, what, ten years. Um, it was Sandoval, then Lester leaving, and then Carl Crawford. Um, so, you know, pretty obvious ones that stand out. Um you know, and then and Mookie was kind of split. He had a lot of he got a lot of votes as the worst move trading Mookie, um, and then a lot of he also got a lot of votes as the the of that bunch of sort of negative moves. He also got a lot of votes for like the least worst, the least of the bad um, there. So it, it sort of split on the Mookie trade, but uh, but yeah, pretty overwhelmingly negative towards Sandoval, Crawford, and and letting Lester go, which is I think as you'd expect. Another interesting question, the way you posed it, was whether or not you find yourself rooting for homegrown players more than acquired players. And I would think that if you just kind of blinked and didn't consider it much, everybody would be like, well, of course. Yeah, right. But then you stop down and remember David Ortiz wasn't homegrown. Mm-hmm. Rock Holt wasn't homegrown. And to me, those are about the most popular players I can think of over the last 10 to 12 years for various reasons. So how did that one come out? Yeah, it was it was as you'd expect that it was pretty overwhelmingly in favor of homegrown players. I think maybe about two to one, um, which again is what you'd expect. But I think that's also just sort of a general rule, right? If you give give players, give fans two different players and make them the exact same, same personality, same impact. One of them's homegrown, one of them's not. I think they generally will, you know, they prefer the homegrown one, and they like the idea of, of watching them come up. But I also think maybe some of that is overstated, you know, in fans' heads. I think that there's some uh, selection bias, too, for us, you know, where I think if you're reading The Athletic, you're probably more likely to have followed the team and, you know, followed the minor league system a little bit more closely to probably kind of know a little bit more about, you know, who's coming up and who's not. It's just a, you know, if you're looking to read these sort of deep dive kind of stories that we put out there, then you're probably more likely to to, to engage um, in the team beyond just the big league roster. So maybe it is our readers 
in particular kind of know who's coming up anyway. And then, uh, then because of that, that makes them, you know, at least feel a certain connection to homegrown players. But another thing I thought of is, you know, that seems obvious, right? Like baseball fans, if you follow the minor system, you're going to like the guys who come up. But I wonder if it would be the opposite at a, at a place like Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay or something where, you know, maybe those fans would really appreciate you know, they see homegrown guys all the time. You know, maybe they would really lean towards the guys who actually choose to come there. Because um, that is an interesting element of, of the homegrown thing is that I think we take it, it, it seems like those are, you know, if, if you're a fan of the Red Sox and the guys who come up with the system are our guys. But those are also the guys who had no choice in the matter, right? They just get drafted or, or you know, you know, maybe they signed out of, you know, the Dominican or they sign as an undrafted free agent or something like that. But I think as a general rule, it's just guys who got picked and they just happen to be assigned. They get picked by the Red Sox. And, and so they, they're they coming up with the team just because that's the way the rules work. The guys who come here and sign, I mean, they they make a choice too. So in some ways, maybe there is a, uh, maybe there should be a little bit more appreciation for the guys who come here uh, as free agents. We got a few more minutes with Chad Jennings of the Athletic, and uh, another question threw out there in the survey chat, asking what big move do the Sox need to make next? And and you know all of these moves would make sense if they can do them all, but you threw it out there, you know, acquire an elite starting pitcher, acquire an elite position player, add a late inning reliever, solidify either center field or second base, take your pick. I think, if I remember right, starting pitcher was more than 50%, right? I mean, most everybody said that was the one. Yeah. And, and Which one do you think it should have been, or do you agree with that? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, that's the, to me, that's clearly where they, where the Red Sox have the biggest need. Um, it's where they probably had the, the biggest struggle in terms of development. I mean, look at the team, you know, as it was even in 18, you know, when they, they did have to, you know, they brought in J.D. Martinez as a big, you know, kind of hired gun, and, and they've had to, they, you know, added pieces like Steve Pierce and Ian Kinsler at the deadline, things like that. But for the most part, that that team was offensively built from within um, through the draft and through international signings and all this. But, and then even the bullpen, a lot of it was built from within. I mean, Matt Barnes and um, and then, you know, you look at the team now with Workman, and they've, they've had some success finding some relievers. But they just have had a hard time finding their own starting pitching. And, and that's why you've seen, you know, a trade for Chris Sale, a, a trade for Rick Porcellos, a trade for Eduardo Rodriguez, signing David Price, trading for and then signing Nathan Avaldi. I mean, that's, that's where they've had a hard time. And, and I don't, and I think that there is some sense of, you know, they still have some, some hitting talent coming up. But, but you do wonder if, if some of these pitchers are going to work out where they, where they're going to be able to actually lean on them. So I do think that if there's, if there's going to be a big expense, if there's going to be a big free agent signing in the next year or two, I, I do think it makes the most sense to do that, you know, to put that money toward pitching. Um, even though they just lost Mookie and, and very well could lose J.D. Martinez after this year, I still think that the, the bigger need is, is for someone to really anchor the rotation. And, and let's end on one that kind of ties into that, I mean, because the ultimate – question here is when are we going to see another duck boat parade right i mean when are the red Sox going to win their next world series and that's a very straightforward question uh i was really intrigued to see that basically a quarter of your respondents said it's going to be at least 10 years from now the the next decade is going to be rough and i mean that's a very puritan realistic way to to take a look at it i mean uh, you could make a case that tampa bay is not going away the yankees are the yankees the orioles are finally starting to build i mean that's just in your division uh but 
a quarter of your respondents said, um, you know, it actually looks okay within the next five years or so. Actually, about three quarters now that I look at this pie chart. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are saying it within the next five years. That's when we expect it. Is that pie in the sky, or is there a scenario where sometime by the middle of this decade it's going to happen again? Well, I mean, I, mean, I think any, any team, if you can win a championship in the next five years, that's great, right? And then maybe we, maybe Red Sox have been a little bit spoiled lately. Red Sox fans have been spoiled by winning so often lately. And, you know, you forget that you can have a very good team that still doesn't win the World Series. Um, and so I do think, I mean, within the next five years is, to me, very optimistic, only because so many things have to go right, right? Like, it's not just a matter of within the next five years are going to be competitive. I think within the next five years they can absolutely compete for a World Series. Um, it's just a matter of fully believing that within those five years you're also going to actually have all the things fall the right way where you actually win it. Um, but I do think it speaks to that there is, there is, I think, a sense that, Yes, this is a has been a negative, difficult winter for the Red Sox because they, you know, cut back on spending. You trade Mookie Betts. I mean, these are not good things. These are not fun experiences for a fan base. But you look at the history of this ownership group, and it has been a, a pretty significant commitment to winning. A, a lot of money spent, a lot of money put toward payroll. Um, I think there's some optimism because Heim Bloom is here that maybe he brings a sort of modern approach to roster building and a modern approach to the front office that I think you could also see in that survey. There's a lot of confidence in him as a, as a guy to, to sort of run the show. And uh, and you put those things together with sort of a young core that is in place. I mean, Xander's going to be – Xander Bogart and Raphael Devers, Andrew Benatendi, I mean, these guys should be good for the next five-plus years. So, you know, you add all those things together, I think there is reason to be optimistic that fairly soon – they will at least be in a position to make a run at a championship. Um, it's just a matter of whether all of the things come together that it requires for that to actually happen. Chad Jennings, our guest, wonderful stuff, not a surprise. I might have to hit you up again, dude, because, I mean, I got about 5% of the way along with all these questions and, and <laughs> yeah, sure, interesting no questions to ask. So uh, if you don't mind, maybe we'll do this again sometime. But in the interim, please stay safe, and, and, and thanks for giving us content. I mean, everybody is so starved for content right now, and that's the great thing about The Athletic is you guys will always figure out something to, to keep us talking and keep us interested. So keep up the great work, my man, and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. That's beautiful. That's Chad Jennings. I'm going to keep him on the line for 30 more seconds just so I can uh, can wrap this baby up. Uh, telling all you guys to stay safe as well. Appreciate your your interest, your continued interest in this particular podcast, Red Sox Beat, courtesy of DLNS Media. I am Josh Lewin. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.